you know, you're, you're, you laugh at it because you realise it is kind of <laughs> ridiculous yeah. from, that, from that perspective. Hi everyone and welcome to the fourth episode of the Audiobook Club podcast. I'm Michael. I'm Stephen. I'm Jonathan. Today we're doing The Humans by Matt Haig. I'm just going to start by giving a brief summary of what the book is about. So prior to the beginning of the story, a mathematics professor of Cambridge University, Professor Andrew Martin, solved the Riemann hypothesis. So this is a mathematical problem regarding the distribution of prime numbers. In solving this, humans will unlock a means to profound technological advancement and progress, but an advanced alien civilization sees humans as psychologically primitive. They're dangerous and they're impulsive, so they see this ability to advance their space travel and and their technologies a direct threat to other galaxies and their own existence. So this is where our narrator comes in. After Professor Andrew Martin is neutralized, one of the aliens is sent to Earth, assuming his identity. He is now tasked with identifying those who know about uh, Professor Martin's discovery and, and he has to eliminate them. But on why, why I picked this book, um, I picked this book because I, I've read this book a few times before. This is the third time that I've, well, I read it once. I listened to the audiobook once, so this is the third time that I've read or listened to it. Uh, I, I love this book. It's, uh, it's a book that I identified with very deeply when I first read it. It, uh, I find the book I find the book really really funny and I find it heartbreaking at times as well. And I think it's a it's a, an interesting book to do like after our previous episode doing 2001 a space odyssey that book the question that book basically raises the question of what is the place of humanity. Well this book is more focused on the individual what is the place of the individual human within humanity. So I guess we'll go on to um plot guess reveals from last week how accurate they were uh guys do you each want to go over again what you remember giving us your guess i remember saying that uh the dog something about the dog <laughs> from the perspective of the dog or something yeah so you said that um this book was from the perspective of a dog and just observing human life <laughs> and uh yeah. Jonathan, do you remember what your guess was yeah, mine was just to add to Stevens that the dog somehow ended up in space. Ah, uh, so both of you were very clearly thrown off by the the cover. Oh, yeah. yeah, which I can I can completely see why you guessed that, <laughs> given what the cover is. And I I told you straight after the episode that the cover was misleading. Uh, who do you think who do you think came closer between you two? Well, no, I I don't think either of us came closer because <laughs> the dog doesn't <laughs> go to space. So you think I know that's where you're leading with this? Completely void. I think it's completely void. I don't know. I think the I dog said the did word. not go to space. He said he specifically says the dog goes to space, <laughs> and he does. Said, said the word space, like yeah. I did wonder over this because I was I was thinking does the does Jonathan's guess of the dog going to space does this make it further away from the truth or does it make it closer to the truth? And Stephen, as you have guessed that i have sided with the fact it makes it closer just for the sheer 
the simple fact that it is closer to the actual genre of the book uh, and know. the dog <laughs> interacts with a creature from space so yeah suppose, but i don't know i don't know like they're both very off guesses but i, but I would say <laughs> just for the sheer fact that jonathan got slightly more in the genre i would say that has was slightly more accurate by point but a nepotism going on here so. <laughs> <laughs> do you accept my role no i don't but whatever <laughs> i guess jonathan gets another point so that means jonathan has two points me and steven both have zero i think i think it might might be over before it's already started like <laughs> jonathan's pulling up a, a handsome dude here doesn't have to be this way michael <laughs> I slapped so, you a tenor, like. <laughs> so our story begins when Andrew Martin arrives. Well, some an alien, presumed to be Andrew Martin, arrives stark naked in Cambridge. He is forced to quickly pick up things on Earth. Uh, there's a lot of comedy in this this beginning section where uh, he he doesn't understand the social norms of wearing clothes, and he uh, he quickly picks up. English by reading uh, an issue of Cosmopolitan and he conflates then the idea of how important having orgasms is on this planet oh, <laughs> uh, what did you guys think of the beginning of this book and like the overall premise that they that the idea draw you in did you find it an interesting idea to explore well within the first 10 minutes I was hooked I thought I thought it was amazing <laughs> I thought it was so funny and so interesting and I, I just I couldn't put it down um I think, as you'll know from our text conversation, I think I finished it in two days. <laughs> two days. Yeah, like flat. I was extremely surprised by that. I couldn't put it down. Whereas if you contrast it against 2001, it took me so long. But this, yeah, yeah I, I couldn't put it down. It was so good. And uh, like the start of the book, I thought I thought it was really funny. Yeah, because um, I've read this book three times, but I don't think I've ever read it in two days. So that was, yeah, that was a shock that you'd just completely blazed through it. What about you, Jonathan? What did you uh, think about the beginning and the, the setup to the book? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with Stephen. Um, yeah, it just kind of got me straight away. Um, I thought it was him running about naked especially, you know, obviously opened kind of as, as a comedy book. Um, so, you know, it, as you did say before, it goes into some you know deeper kind of human things later in the book. But I think they start off with just that, that kind of comedic part of it. Um, yeah, that 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 kind of yeah definitely drew, drew me in. The the thing I the thing I found about it is that, yeah it's it started funny right and that's where the hooks kind of got onto me, but then it kind of evolves into more of a like a what am I, what, what am I trying to say like a you know heartfelt sort of thing going on with yeah the, definitely know, the sun and everything. Yeah, because uh, I think um like the the extraterrestrial that is Andrew the narrator he uh he starts off he's very he's disgusted kind of of humans he he thinks they're and he doesn't know what to think of them really and it's as as he connects more it becomes to them it becomes a different book so the book kind of changes its tone as as he changes his arc yeah the book changes as he changes definitely which was which was really fun to see I think in the middle it's more of a it becomes more of like a black comedy then it's like it's well yeah it goes to like a comedy to like a black comedy to like a heartfelt thing to like a thriller towards the end <laughs> i know yeah it's a, it's a lot of different places it goes to 
after the beginning, he's taken to um, a psychiatric institution. He um, he convinces the person seeing him that it was a momentary lapse. And then we, uh, after that, we're, sh- we're introduced to Isabel. And shortly after that, Gulliver and Newton, who are basically our core cast of characters. Uh, so I guess I'll start. What did you guys think? What did you guys think of the extraterrestrial anyway? Who was Andrew? Did you? What did you think of his arc and and? Well, supposed extraterrestrial. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. <laughs> I'll go on to that later. I think it's a it's a very difficult thing to do. What what Matt Haig is trying to do, it's like you're trying to write from the perspective of like an advanced life form who's supposed to be so much smarter than humans. So I think you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit on that. And just accept like the comedic premise and and you know go along with what he's doing there. Um, what did you guys think of the the main character, the narrator, who we see this story through? I thought it was really interesting, yeah, to to kind of follow the the story through that those sort of eyes, right? Um, <clears throat> but I was also trying to like work out more about it, like where he came from. <laughs> like I I was really interested to hear about like his home planet and all this here that was going on and like why he was there and stuff so I think that kind of kept me going as well but from the story from his perspective I thought it was very interesting and yeah just just there's so much space for comedy there where like you know because everything's weird to him and his reactions are then funny so yeah I liked it yeah so from his point of view obviously is the higher life form um, or more intelligent life form yeah, he kind of thinks he's kind of going through just doing like daily, like human activities, kind of saying how stupid these ideas or whatever are, and you know why do humans do this? This is ridiculous. And then you kind of realize, you know, you 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 laugh at it because you realize it is kind of <laughs> ridiculous yeah. from that from that perspective. So um, yeah, it kind of makes you realize yeah how how stupid and a lot of the things that we do actually would seem to an alien. So it's yeah, it's it's a very uh, unique kind of point of view. Yeah, like even when he's talking about, like uh, everybody's, he's walking down the motorway, and everybody's beeping at him because he's he's naked, and he he, th- he wonders is everybody honking the horn at him because he's not in a car. <laughs> it's just it's stuff like that. It's just really funny. Yeah, I, I I laughed out loud a couple of times in this book, like um when he uh, <laughs> this is getting into spoiler territory, anyways. But I guess we're we're at that stage anyway, so we're we're gonna start talking about things that happen later in the book. But um, as a spoiler, the, the son Gulliver, he uh, he's very clearly contemplating suicide and early in the book, then he attempts it later in the book, and there's a uh, he he says to him that 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 fall won't kill you if you want. I can take you to a higher roof. <laughs> just like. <laughs> Yeah. And that's just one example of like the dark comedy in this but it's... <laughs> I can take you higher yeah it was there, there was a bit after that where I laughed out loud. well it was a few times as well that I laughed out loud but it was a bit after that where um you know he attempts he attempts and everything and uh he gets saved and they're sitting on the park bench talking about it <laughs> yeah and he says about eating all the like, he, he took all the tablets I can't remember what they were now diazepam was it yeah yeah and he <laughs> Oliver says to him he's all you're off your tablets and the, and uh, the the alien goes like, "Well, you ate them all." And then yeah. you. Passing me all over that. Yeah, I, I like how he does like the he, he doesn't really understand how to use the F word properly, so he just yeah. like puts it on after every every word he says whenever Gulliver he starts talking to Gulliver because Gulliver does it. Yeah. 
I, I think the first time he meets uh, he meets Gulliver, he he goes onto it, doesn't he? Every every second word's the F word. There's actually something that I keep saying to Sarah now. It's the um, what was it? Um, he says somebody asks him, "Can you believe that?" And he goes, "Believe." <laughs> <laughs> I think there's so many great quotes in this book and um, I've got a few written down we can go through later but uh, yeah I think it's like a really quotable book it's one of the reasons I keep coming back to it it's like like not just because it's funny there's also like a lot of I think a lot of really profound quotes in this as well and in isolation some of them sound like the kind of things that people share on like a background and a Facebook meme but I think like the sincerity with which this book is approached makes them feel all really genuine it makes it feel really heartfelt. So, so I've alluded to anyway. We meet uh, Isabel, Newton, and Gulliver. These are our secondary characters, really. What did you What did you think about uh, this cast of characters? I mean, yeah, it's kind of <clears throat> when the narrator is like an an extraterrestrial or like you know some other life form. It's kind of <clears throat> hard to get interested in the in the other characters, but yeah, uh, I think. But um, Gulliver. Especially, there's something there res- like resounded with is that the word with me um, in his story, and uh, you know I want I wanted to see how he would kind of to know the his dad in a sense because he doesn't really know his dad. So I, I found that whole thing uh, really interesting. And uh, Isabel, though, I'm, I'm not really sure what to say about her. <laughs> it, she's kind of there as like the foil to the the aliens' madness, <laughs> and. Uh, Newton's uh, just fantastic. Yeah, because <laughs> you get to see see what the dog's thinking. I don't know. Yeah, I love the I love the where they bond over peanut butter at the at their interaction, their talk as well. Newton and uh, and Andrew. Well, he also cures him of uh, what is it? What is it? He has like arthritis or something. Yeah. So, like for in terms of cast of characters, it is kind of I don't know not huge and you kind of still see everything through the eyes of the, the extraterrestrial so I don't really know what to say about the, the other cast yeah I mean the son I wasn't really a big fan of the son like obviously I know the, the character that he's going for um, yeah because he's kind of the son's neglected you know never got along with the dad until now he's the alien I do like that actual story it's just you know I feel like the son's kind of I don't know, he's just, you know, he's, he's one of those, he's at that age, that adolescent age, where he just, like, hates everyone and everything kind of thing. So, yeah, I just don't like that. But but the actual topic of, yeah, how, he, um, yeah, the, the son and even the, the the marriage between Isabel and Andrew wasn't great until um, now the aliens come on. So, um, yeah, I think the, the secondary characters of those, the family, um, kind of serve that purpose um well of uh creating that story um and as opposed to that as you know he as the alien he finds everything strange but i think isabel and gulliver are kind of the first two things that you know and the dog are the first things that he starts to actually appreciate um about humans um like that isabel's like beautiful and you know i don't know uh he, he likes obviously i think the dog might be the first because of that bond with the peanut butter and stuff but um and then yeah. eventually gulliver, gulliver as well because um, obviously it's, it's his task in the book is to um, eliminate them, but um, yeah, no, I think that that purpose there, um, those those characters, yeah, were good for creating that uh, story. 
yeah i i definitely like them all as characters i can see what you're saying about uh gulliver jonathan I, it reminds me of um something people say about harry potter and the order of the phoenix where they complain about all the teenage angst and it's like jk rowling like got teenagers so right that it's annoying how right she got them because like she's perfectly exemplifying what teenagers are like so i can see that like he's so ac- gulliver is so accurate to a teenager that it makes him annoying because he has all that angst i've heard people say the same thing about like a book like catcher in the rye where there's so much angst and it's so accurately portrayed that it becomes it puts some people off but um i like gulliver as a character because i feel like teenage characters a lot can just be minimized to their moodiness and it can said like when they're unhappy it's like oh it's just teenage hormones i like the fact that gulliver has reflected as being depressed and has uh has conflict his inner conflict isn't minimized in any way he's shown as being suicidal it's all taken very seriously in the book um and i and i really like his relationship with the the narrator i, I think uh it, it's a really interesting bond and the way he helps helps gulliver through it is it was compelling to me yeah, I would agree with that. Like it was, it was just great to see that. that I think we said this already, but he doesn't really have a relationship with his, his actual father, right? The the real Andrew, but this alien comes along and he he suddenly starts to have develop that uh, relationship, and we get to see see that progress, and that was um, fascinating. Yeah, I know it's a it's kind of it's like a tragic relationship too because it's like he had a father, but this this alien who barely knows the way of humanity is more of a father to him than his real father ever was. Yeah. And uh, I like the relationship with Isabel too. Um, she's, she's just, we, all we really know about Isabel is that she's smart really. And, uh, but the relationship I found, I did find it really compelling as well. I thought it was really genuine. And when, at the end, when they're like, when the, the narrator commits the infidelity with the student and then they they go their separate ways they break up i did find it quite tragic especially how andrew's left alone it, it did feel like a lot was lost from his life you could feel yeah. the weight of that and newton as well he, he's i love their relationship together especially i've already talked about that peanut butter scene that's one of my favorite scenes as well they're, i don't want your love sharing their love <laughs> yeah love that you touched on too, Stephen. There's another character really to talk about, and main characters, and that is Andrew Martin, the real Andrew Martin, who we don't really meet, but we we get a good impression of what he was like. That he was just kind of coasting through life and wasn't really he wasn't really present, and he wasn't there for for his family at all, really. Yeah, he's clear. He's clearly a smart guy, obviously, right? Because he he solved this this mathematical thing, and you know he's a professor of maths and everything, but. I mean, he seems like a really, for like a, an <laughs> for lack of a better term, he, he just seems like a really unlikable guy. Yeah, which I, he does. Yeah, I thought I found that really interesting too. That the the alien, an alien who's is like everything's so strange to him and, and whatever, is more relatable to the family than the actual human Andrew Martin. Yeah. Which was, yeah, so he clearly seems like a guy you don't really want to, I wouldn't want to know. <laughs> yeah, I think like the fact that the the narrator can so easily impersonate him too shows how like how much, how little of a personality he had too, that he didn't really, 
connect with anybody. Yeah, even his even his best mate, what's his name, Ari, doesn't even notice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think my the the thing I like about um, what he was, he was the maths professor, and obviously that's where my background lies. So I, I really, it's maybe not so much on him, but I really love the maths kind of um, back background of this book. Um, and I, I actually quite like the you know the enthusiasm of the the alien about us. Um, so because he always talks about the prime numbers and things like that, um, and I think there's one good good quote about that was like, um, if someone like music is just counting but you don't know it, um, which I, th- I thought was quite good. Um, so he's kind of like their their civilization just believes everything is mathematic, every mathematics. Um, I feel I feel like that situation, like Andrew Martin, probably would have been better to have been the alien and live in that world. And the alien is better to have been the human. Do you know what I mean? Whereas they're obviously born in different places. They they would suit, yeah. Because Andrew Martin and I seem to not really have too much love for his son or his wife. Um, which which the as the alien race that they describe doesn't um they don't have partners or they um yeah, they're just kinda like interested in mathematics and things. So yeah, I feel like that's where he kinda belonged. Was with there and yeah, the alien should have been with the humans. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't, I hadn't thought of that. Um, that does that was something I wanted to ask you, Jonathan, because you did study mathematics at a at a quite a high level. Did you do? You, did you hear about them? Did you were you familiar with like the Riemann hypothesis or anything like that? And did you find like that aspect of the book? What did you find interesting about it? Yeah, I don't. I've never heard. I'd never um actually heard about it before. Um, I don't. I don't know that. I'm not even sure if it's been proved or not. Um, I'm actually just going to have a quick look here, but sounds um, like something an alien that's trying to pretend to be a human would say. <laughs> <laughs> Sweating nervously um, now. <laughs> yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think they're. Um, yeah, it's it's not going to be like a form that's going to do exactly what they said, but I'm not sure why he chose this. It seemed like he, he'd done a lot of his homework. Um, Matt Haig, you know, he, like I actually at the very end of the book, there's like a chapter of his next book as well, and it's also kind of science fictiony. Um, but it also, you know, he was also using like real scientific terminology. But I think in this book, he uses a lot of mathematical te- te- uh, terminology. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure, and I've never actually heard about this Riemann hypothesis. To be honest, I actually thought that he'd made it up in the book. Um, so, right, yeah. Yeah, because I don't know why you know you would want to use a real thing, um, because then that's kind of not as make believe. Because I feel like you know there's this hypothesis with people might poke holes on it. Yeah, yeah, there'd be no. I mean, if if this is unproven right now, I'm proving it. Would that give us the part this power? Um, I'm not. I'm not, I don't even know anything about it. But um, but no, I, I I did really enjoy the the mathematical terminology that he was brought up. I'm I'm reading up about this hypothesis and it's all going over <laughs> my head. I yeah, I, I tried <laughs> tried to read the Wikipedia for like uh, some kind of take on trivia, but I was not getting getting anywhere with it to be honest. Well, I'll have a, I'm going to have a read here. Um, in the meantime, I'm sure I'll, I'll come back to me in the trivia section. Sure, if you solve it, let me know. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'll be putting your life in danger. <laughs> At the start, at the start, I've touched on that he does find humans disgusting, repulsive, and he sees that they're very irrational, and there's war going on and everything, and it's 
it's very hard to argue against the alien logic, I think, of humans shouldn't be able to travel through space because if I was an alien species, I would feel threatened by humanity being able to reach me very suddenly. Well, what is it that he says? He says they're not emotionally ready or something, right? They're not, their emotional level isn't uh, advanced enough to be ready for advancements in technology or whatever that the solving this hypothesis would uh, bring. <clears throat> so yeah, you don't, if, if you think about it, like if you were an alien, you don't really want uh, a, a man-child a civilization going through the universe, um, <laughs> fighting yeah. everybody. <laughs> yeah, they're not uh, they're not psychologically ready for for their advancement, is what the is what the aliens are kind of uh, that's their logic, and that this uh, this act that this individual alien has of, of murdering any anybody who knows about this discovery, it's completely justified because it's going to save so many more lives. I I would agree. I, I think I think they 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 sort of have the right of it, but they're also wrong because you know the the way they go about it is killing people, <laughs> like that that we know have not have nothing to do with it. Just just to like tie up any loose ends, like they want to get rid of Isabel and Gulliver. Obviously knows that it is that solved it right, but he doesn't have the answers or anything. But they they still want to kill him for for just because, and you know. The third Andrew Martin comes along and he kills Ari and whatever and you know. So their their methods leave a bit to be desired, but I think the the point was was solid, yeah. Yeah, because uh, that is that is something that uh, the narrator comes that comes around himself because he is originally on board with the mission, but then he starts to uh, starts to read poetry, starts to listen to a lot of music, talking heads and stuff is brought up a lot. Uh, starts to eat peanut butter with Newton. Starts to make a bond with uh with Gulliver, and and Isabel, and and starts to see that. And I think he argues back then because they are able to, they don't seem to be able to read his mind, but they seem to be able to hear everything that he says. So they do communicate with him several times through the book, the other aliens, and he argues with them that humans are more complex and they need to reevaluate re- reevaluate things. Again, I, I could see I could see his point there. It made sense that you know that they were being unreasonable. There was new information here that he had he had seen a lot a lot of good in humanity within the the nuance within the individuals. I mean, uh, yeah, I, that's the, I don't know <laughs> the whole thing <laughs> with the the sort of uh, superiors to to the narrator, right? was a bit weird for me. Um, yeah. Because the whole time I was kind of thinking that, th- this is why I alluded to this earlier, that maybe he did actually have like a psychotic episode and this is all in his head. So I was kind of battling that. <laughs> Being like, uh, is he really talking to people? <laughs> or... Yeah. I did, I did have that thought, this read for you. I was wondering, could it, could it be interpreted that way? I was kind of on the lookout for things like that, for clues. If it, if it could possibly be interpreted as that. Yeah, for, for the record, I don't think that's the case, but I just thought, the, when I was listening to it, I thought, you know, I kept coming back to, but but are they really there, though? You know, when what is it when they um, <clears throat> they kind of take over his body and they, they go to kill Isabel? Um, I was like, did they, though, or was he just a bit mad? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was like, I don't know. 
because they're supposed to be right so they're supposed to be this super logical species right but as you said a lot of the things that they do are illogical <laughs> you know oh, like one of the big themes about the book here is suicide it's um uh matt Haig, he wrote like sort of a memoir self-help book that i've read as well called reasons to stay alive where he talks a lot about his own um so on mental health issues and, and battles and a lot of the medication that he's been on it's it's referenced in this book as well he even makes a joke kind of a meta joke near the beginning about our insane things humans do one one of them being writing a semi-autobiographical novel so he kind of uh, explores this mainly through the character of gulliver who he we first get an indication that he he may have uh, suicidal tendencies when he's standing and he's near a train and he seems to be for my for my interpretation anyway seems to be contemplating stepping out in front of the train then uh then later he jumps off or off a roof after taking all 28 diazepam from um from andrew's medication i felt like because i have the perspective of reading that memoir as well i knew that it was coming from a very personal place and i could feel that and and I really, it was like a good emotional core to the book, and I'm I'm glad that he touched a subject that's usually taboo in a lot of fiction with such like vulnerability and honesty. Yeah, I I did. Uh, I think that was re- well handled. But it's also um, because it's not from Gulliver Gulliver's perspective. It's kind of um, not glossed over, but there's it's not as in depth as it, you know if it was from his you know would be if it was from his perspective especially the bit with the train that's kind of just you know not talked about again <laughs> but the obviously the roof part that's kind of key that's a key scene because um obviously then gulliver knows something's up and uh, i think like the train scene i all it really serves is like foreshadowing to the roof scene isn't it it's yeah. just it also the the train scene um at that stage um Andrew Martin or the alien doesn't really he, he needs to kill Gulliver and he actually is kind of like oh he, he might do it himself here um, so he's kind of happy that this boy might commit suicide to you know um, serve his own purpose of he doesn't have to do it then um, whereas by the rift stage he now actually saves him from doing it because he cares about him at this stage um, so the contrast between the two the two times um, as well um, yeah I also I also think the topic of bullying was like well handled in the book um, because he's obviously Gulliver's Gulliver's bullied a lot uh, because well I think it had even happened before his dad kind of went off the rails but uh, or it's alluded to that it did anyway because you know he's he's so upset and everything yeah he's been battling his demons for a while and yeah there's this scene where like uh, the the narrator kind of a uh, he convinces Gulliver to confront his bullies. So I think they're sitting. That's uh, <laughs> that's the part where you were talking about the the uh, as a pan scene. That's just the just after, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Just even <laughs> even that scene was great. Where he's just the you know the narrator just goes to the to the bully, you will lose. <laughs> that was. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like it, yeah, he gets him to confront his his bullies and sort of stand up to them and make a change uh, in a way. I think that's what that scene was was showing. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's why I find um Gulliver 
a good character. It's not necessarily that he was a good character on his own, but that he and uh, the narrator had a good relationship. And I think that's like the key to all the characters in this book. It's all how they interact with the narrator that, that kind of makes them feel more fleshed out than, than what they are as individuals. It's the, it's the actual relationship that feels fleshed out more than the characters. Yeah. So um, the narrator, he comes to the, he comes to uh, bond with the humans more and he eventually realizes that he can't carry out his mission. Uh, he tries to convince them that, that uh, the hosts, that uh, Isabel and Gulliver, don't pose an actual threat. There is somebody he, he does kill after this. He, he murders this mentor figure, who, Daniel. That was quite a dark moment in the book because he, he basically makes it look like a heart attack. What did you guys think of that? Did, did, did anything like that go too far or anything, do you think? Or? No, I don't, I don't think it went too far, but I did like his, his sort of reaction to that because uh, he's, that's, that's sort of where he starts changing a lot, I think. He, he kills that guy and he's like, well, you know, it kind of has an impact on him. But he watched him die or something. Yeah, he sees like kind of how precious life is, especially from Daniel's uh, partner's reaction. Yeah, his wife. And, yeah. and how the funeral is and everything. Yeah, that's definitely a big, a big part in how he changes. So it's uh, the part that I was talking about. Then he just he um he eventually decides he can't carry out that mission because that that would involve killing uh, both Isabel and Gulliver. So he decides he he makes this decision to become fully human and leave his extraterrestrial powers behind. So he's given up his immortality and his ability to travel beyond beyond Earth. He just becomes like a normal person. What did you think about that decision? Did it like make thematic sense and everything at that point? And at that point, yeah, it did because he, he, as you said, he, he sort of he's bonded with these people and he, he sees the value in being a human and everything, and he wants to live that life. So it it, it did make sense, yeah. I was really interested about the he he calls you call you called them powers, but he kept calling them gifts for some reason, and I wanted to know more about the gifts, <laughs> like what what do they do? What are they? Who who were they gifted by? Sort of thing. Obviously the. The overlords or whatever i can't remember he did he did give them a name but i can't remember what it is <laughs> the the overseer there's a moment where he meets uh the uh the the man on the the bench who tells him that he's winston churchill oh yeah but, the homeless uh, guy <clears throat> yeah he has a he's a pain on his leg and he goes to heal it but he can't anymore so i'm assuming that was part of his gifts anyway yeah he just touches he could, his um, leg yeah, so it's yeah, it's just awkward then. You see, you know what I really liked? Even even like small characters like like Winston. I'm gonna call him Winston because I don't think he, we find out his real name. <laughs> no, I don't think we do. But uh, so the guy obviously like lies to the narrator and says his name's Winston Churchill. Uh, but then at the at the very end of the book, he reappears. <laughs> the narrator still refers to him as Winston, which I thought was brilliant. Just the small detail and that. I really like that. He's, he's, you know, he says, "Don't as long as you don't touch my leg again." Yeah, I think the the small characters, anybody who's there for just a few pages, they're they're so quirky that uh, they they all seem to have their moment to shine. Yeah. If he's to, if just asked, did you notice? I think he says that his favorite prime number is ninety seven. And at the end of the book, the list that he gives to Gulliver, you know, of things to do. Yeah, it's got ninety seven items on it. 
Right. Yeah, because because I thought that was quite a nice chap- chapter that 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 uh, where he just lists all ninety seven. No, so he's basically just going. You don't. You would always think that would be boring, but but I, some of those points in that list are actually quite good. You know, quotes. Um, but um, yeah, I just wanted to bring that that the list up. Yeah. The the that chapter with the lists. I, I said this to my partner, as if somebody had given me that book when I was a teenager. I just it would have blew my mind. <laughs> that list. It's like a really good yeah, summary. Yeah, it's so for, good. Yeah. yeah. The fa- and the fact that it's like told from this extraterrestrial perspective, it just makes it even better. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm glad you guys are in agreement that that was a good chapter because I could see could see people saying saying something like that that's too much or it's out of place or something, but I think it is like even more so than so so I'll talk about more about how this book ends. So um so Andrew he's he's a normal person and the the narrator posing as Andrew is a normal person uh he he commits like Andrew was having an affair before uh before any of this plot began so the alien continues that not realizing that uh what monogamy is or anything not realizing that he is committing this act of infidelity he tells Isabel about it in like casual conversation she tells him to get out uh somebody somebody else is sent to finish the mission in Andrew's place, another alien. And uh he basically goes he basically goes to save them. Uh he, he does he does so successfully and then that's how Gulliver finds out the truth about all of this, that his his father has been dead for a while. That's why he's been acting so differently and everything. So I, I thought that scene was really key as well. The part where the third Andrew appears, right? And Gulliver, he's in the house. The two of them are in the house with Gulliver. And they basically, the narrator and Gulliver have to kill this other one. I thought that was really, like, important for, for Gulliver as a character because he hates his dad, right? He doesn't like his father, the the real Andrew Martin. And he's got all these problems with him. So there was sort of a, the, the killing of There's the a other, lot of symbolism of that, yeah. yeah I see what you're saying. I... The, the killing of the... Of, his father is sort of symbolic, yeah, because he's, you know, dealing with um, everything that all the feelings they had pent up for his, his his real father, yeah. I think I think you're completely spot on, Stephen. I've I've read this book three times and I've never really thought about that as being symbolic, but I think you're completely right to point it out now. It's it seems like very intentional. Yeah, it's sort of by doing so, he sort of faces his, a lot of his demons, or well, you know. Sort of gets 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 rid of the sort of pent up anger that he has towards his, his father. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that is that was definitely Matt Hague's intent. Now that you yeah. now that you point that out, so he Andrew Andrew commits what is a horrific act amongst his species, and he kills one of his own species to save Isabel and Gulliver. Um, he kind of goes off then and lives his own life. He he just he talks about a lot of his experiences. He's grows a beard, gains some weight, reads a lot more poetry, drinks wine and stuff. And then at the end, we're kind of. Uh, but before that, actually, the list comes before that, doesn't it? Because he leaves the list before he goes off. Yeah. So the ch- the chapter with the list, it's like a list of advice to Gulliver, and it's ninety seven items. And as I was saying, I, I think people could argue that maybe this is too much and it's it disrupts the flow of a book and something like this 
shouldn't be involved in a book but i did think this even more so than the confrontation i think this was the big climax of the book and i i loved i loved this chapter i thought so it was so good i thought there are so many profound points in this and so many funny points and everything and then you guys said that you you enjoyed this chapter as well yeah yeah it's it's my favorite chapter as well of the book it's um yes it's some of the points here they're so quotable um and yeah, so there's funny. It's kind of like it jumps around in topics of the the points. It's kind of like some are funny and then some are sad, or some is just like really good advice kind of thing. Um, yeah, I just thought yeah, it was a brilliant, brilliant chapter. So, so what, what, what resonated for me with this chapter, right, is that he's leaving advice. An alien is leaving advice to to a human on how to be a human, right? Uh, so the Gulliver as a teenager is in a way an alien to the other teenagers that he, he would you know spend most of his time with right uh, which sort of resonated with me as well from my own past right because I, I sort of felt like that too um, so that's what I was saying if I had been given this book as a teenager would have that the 97 the last 97 pieces of advice would have been amazing <laughs> even though a lot of them are dumb some of them are proper pieces of advice and I think I think it was really nice to see that that um, the sort of uh, swap in uh, role where Gulliver is like an alien and the narrator is giving him human yeah. advice yeah I, I thought that was nice to see yeah because I, I even I saw like um like most of the reviews I've read for this book are so positive but I, re- I read one that was positive but it like mentioned how this uh, lust was a bit cliche and I was just like how dare you it's just like because I, I think <laughs> well like, it, it it is but it is it's a good it's a good chapter to me like um a cliche is when somebody says it's raining cats and dogs because like when somebody originally thought of that imagery they said oh, it's raining cats and dogs you had this image of like this chaotic scene of cats and dogs falling out of the sky and that's how bad it's raining you but that term is used so many times it becomes a cliche and it loses its power so people say it without really acknowledging what it means and it doesn't bring an image in your mind anymore. And to me, that's the, that's the issue with cliches. But when somebody means something and it's this big thematic punch on a story, then it no longer is cliche. And, and that's I, I would take exception to just that, that part of the, that person's review of calling it cliche. Well, now that you say it, like I, I actually want to take back what I said. I don't think it is cliche at all yeah, because it's yeah. so... I think you mentioned this before. When when do you ever see this sort of thing in in a book, really? Yeah, exactly. I think like the fact it's so out of place like adds to its power, kind of as well, because it just it kind of draws you on more to pay attention. You're like, well, what's this that's happening now? Yeah, and I also think uh, it's a it's a like a real advice that Matt Haig's trying to get out there too. Yeah, definitely. Want to put that yeah. out there? Yeah, and then after this list it's kind of it, it goes on to what has life is after and then um it kind of leaves with this uh this talk with gulliver where he seems to be going back home where they're gonna give it a try to see if this works or anything obviously he's an alien species he's not not the father not the husband so we don't know if it's going to be weird if it's not going to last or anything but it's it's kind of sort of a happy ending it's it's open-ended to be possibly a happy ending uh, what did you guys think of the ending? Uh, I liked the ending, but it made me want more. I wanted a sequel, but I also think a sequel would be a bad idea. So I'm kind of conflicted. <laughs> um, 
I like that it sort of ended on that uh, cliffhanger, yeah, where you don't know whether he got back with Isabel or, or what. It's just sort of alluded to that he that he goes there. You you never see him speaking again um, or anything. He does he does speak to Gulliver, uh, but which which I thought was really nice because you can see that he took some of that advice on board, and he even remembers it because it doesn't he give give the some one one of the pieces of advice back. To him. Yeah. I can't remember what it was. I can't remember what it was either. But there, there's something there where, where he, you know, he, they meet up again, and he says, um, he says it back to him. Um, but yeah, the the it was nice to see that Gulliver, the description of Gulliver made it clear that he had changed since what was it a year? Maybe it was more. I can't actually remember. But that he he's gone through a sort of change in his life, and he's more, um, he's more. Um, I can't yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to say. He's more put together, kind of. He's, he's not fighting as many demons, idea. yeah. Which which tells me that he did take that advice on board, and and, and yeah, it, it it worked for him. So I I liked the ending. I I thought it was a nice ending. Um, and yeah, but it it did leave me with that um feeling of wanting more <laughs> more to the story. But um, no, yeah, I I enjoyed the ending too. I thought um. The fact, yeah, like it's it kind of has that conversation with Gulliver, and Gulliver's like, um, basically, Isabel wants you back, kind of thing. Um, so in that, and that's in that sense, you don't know if Gulliver's just saying that because you know Gulliver wants him back, and he's just like, whatever, I can say to get you back here. So I think at the very least, we know that you know Gulliver wants him around. Um, so hopefully, I like to think that regardless of what happens between him and Isabel, he'll be around then for Gull- Gulliver still. Um, but yeah, no, I like that it's left um, for the interpretation. Um, um, I just think like a like a proper happy ending's a bit it's a bit too cheesy sometimes. So I feel like yeah, just leave it leaving it open ended like that is is better. Yeah, I agree with you there. It, like it could have tied it up too neatly, and it wouldn't have felt right. I think leaving it open to interpretation like that was the right move for this, and I think it was a it was a pretty good ending. Um. What did you guys, so just as final thoughts here as we're going together, what did you guys think like the theme of this book was? What do you think like Matt Haig was trying to communicate with his overall thoughts of this book? I, I can go first anyway if you want because I have a thought on this and, and I'm just going to read like, I'm just, I was going to read a few of the quotes but there's so many like it, I can't really read that many because it would just be, it would just be reciting the whole book. It's so full of profound stuff and everything. But I think the the meaning of this book, or well, the theme of this book is like summed up in point eighty one in that list, and it says you can't find happiness looking for the meaning of life. Meaning is only the third most important thing. It comes after loving and being, and I think that is like what the book is communicating. It's like it's the importance of just being a human, and that's what we have. That's our ultimate thing, our experience as a human. This the small mundane things is it's even more important than our grand meaning and our grand strive whatever human humanity is going towards just the fact of existing is such a huge thing and i think the book is trying to bring appreciation towards that fact that it talks about it's it's a thought that i've had growing up as well it's like the impossibility of you existing like the mathematical it talks about how mathematically unlikely it is that you ever should have existed because if anybody in your ancestral line, anybody in the evolutionary line, had done anything different, you would just you would never have experienced anything. So it's just this profound 
it's just this it's just this person who struggled clearly with mental health issues coming to terms with the fact that they've spent a lot of their life unhappy but they're glad to be and and how important it is to be human and that's what i think is at the heart of this book yeah i, I did to be honest with you i didn't really think about it until you asked me the question there, but <laughs> I, I, I would i would 100 percent agree with what you said um i think i i completely agree with what you said um yeah, that it's it's mostly like people are searching for a meaning of a life for humans. Um, I think he started to start talking about or last week. We looked at Space Odyssey, which is about humans' place, but most humans, you know, don't even accept kind of their own situation. So it's kind of more, yeah, it's basically it's, it's rooted in like an individual's perspective of like universe and all, not humans as a whole. So it, um, yeah, I think it is a very you know um, kind of goes with that mental health kind of target in mind. Um, yeah, based on the probably because of the offers um, own struggles, um, but you know because it's yeah the the chances of existing thing that that all kind of uh, yeah got with me as well you know and there was a good I can't I can't remember the quote but it was just kind of yeah like the chances of you existing um, you know he, he goes for you then he's like um, you know um, the chance of your parents getting together and then is like this amount and then you would have to get that for one hundred and fifty generations or whatever. And it just kind of like shows you how unlikely it is. It's like it's more or less zero. Um, so like if you don't, if you if you say something's impossible, um, you're kind of saying yourself like because it has low odds. Then you're saying that you you're impossible because the chance of you existing was low odds. Um, and yeah, yeah, I thought that that quote was quite. Um, well, I, don't, I can't remember the exact quote, but you know what I mean. Um, paraphrasing it. Um, yeah, that was I think kind of summed up the whole the whole book then yeah no i i love that quote as well that would be one of my favorite quotes from this book i think there's another one that's very similar to that too when he talks about humanity like believing in things like god and how he can understand that because how when they're so improbable it's it makes sense that they would just believe in something that's only slightly less probable than their existence which i thought was like a very profound take on on why there's religion and stuff it's just one thing I wanted to ask, if you can remember, what which is your favorite piece of advice from the Advice for Humans chapter? <laughs> do you do you want to give me uh, do you want me to give you mine? Yeah, I can't remember which number it is or the exact quote, but it's it goes like some like no one will understand you, but that's not important. What's important is that you understand you. And I, I thought that was really nice. Yeah, I think that's a really good and one. True. Definitely. Yeah. I think maybe that maybe the one I quoted number eighty one was probably the one that spoke to me the most. The one about being because especially because I've been like this year I've been like meditating a lot and learning like how to be present. So it it's kind of it's it speaks to that to be to just appreciating your experience and your being in the moment more. There's a a good one here. I'm just reading it to myself. I didn't write down my favorite one, but um, there's one here. It's maybe kind of very relevant to humans today you know with global warming and things like that or war and all um that's you know we just think i think we have this kind of conception that one day technology will just get so good that we won't have to worry about it um you know you're just kind of like ah don't worry about global warming because technology is going to sort it out first anyway we'll, we'll advance our technology and get there which yeah could be true because you know um yeah technology or uh, like need like is what's leads to better advances in technology when you actually need it um 
But the one the quote does the technology won't save humankind, humans will. It's so it's saying like, you know, it's not don't rely on the technology to save it, you, you know, the humans have to do it themselves. I agree, you know, I think so many things from that list you could you could point out about I think about twenty things from that list were just really, really good. Like so many of them were just comedic, but yeah, I would agree with your picks definitely. Oh, so I have one more quote here. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Um, this one, this one is my favorite one now that I've um, actually um, went read read through them here. Um, it's it's don't aim for perfection. Evolution and life uh, only happens through mistakes. Oh, I love that one as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's my favorite one. Yeah. So that's a good one. Just putting that out there. I claimed it. <laughs> But they, this is what I'm saying. There's so many good quotes on there that you show that to a teenager, and I, I think that'll just change yeah. your life. Well, maybe not in every case. I, I even like even when I read, first read this book about four years ago, it, it it was like I was on a on a place where this spoke really really profound where I needed. Um, yeah. I'm not saying it, like it wouldn't help you know an older person. I'm just saying no. Like, I know what you you're. Know, I know, yeah. Those sort of teenage yeah, years is particularly yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so I think we're going to go on to star rating then. So we will start with Stephen. Oh, it's it's got to be a five. I I I really like this book, and I, it's it's up there with my one of my you know all time favorite books. So I'm, I'm going to give it a five, hundred percent. Uh, are we, are we doing narrator? Yeah, I was going to ask you because yeah. we haven't re- we didn't really touch on it in the review. So I suppose we should talk here about Mark Meadows as well. What did you think of his performance? I thought it was incredible. <laughs> He's definitely a five out of five as well. Um, it, it just, I, I think it made the book so much better. I obviously I can't say for certain because I haven't read, you know, physically read it. But uh, his portrayal of the narrator and and everything was was amazing. Just even the way you know he says certain words or certain phrases was 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 just perfect. <laughs> you know, it just enhanced the, the that character so much more because. His speech is alien as well, you know. Just the way he says things and the cursing and everything—it <laughs> was top yeah. notch. I'm, I'm going to give it a five, five across the board. Yeah. So, uh, the book. So usually for most book, most books for me are kind of like you know read a story and kind of escape you know the real kind of thing. Whereas it was not only a story um, that made me escape, but also had a lot of things that you could bring to real life you know like all these quotes that we're going through you know things that i think would actually speak to your real life as well as being um a kind of story you can enjoy um and i don't think i've ever read a book quite like it um and the narrator yeah i thought he was fantastic at especially um you know doing that kind of alien voice um of not really under, like conveying that he doesn't really understand what he's saying um like when he's saying like the f words and stuff like that a lot um things like that so i think he did a, a great job so yeah i'm gonna give this a five i thought it was yeah it's definitely up there now of probably one of my favorite most favorite books ever that i've read yeah or listened to i'm real i'm really happy that you recommended it michael i think it's it's, it's so good oh, I'm, I'm really glad you guys liked it that's um it's a uh, don't even really have to give my rating, but I will anyway because, like our, as I've said, I've reread this book three times, and I'm, I'm gonna reread it many times throughout my life if I, if I, ha- I'm lucky enough to to live long enough to read it many times. But um, yeah, I'm gonna. I, I think it's just it's appropriate to rate this uh, book with a prime number, so I'm gonna give it five out of five. 
Very good. Very I, I, I love this book. It, it spoke to me on such a such a profound level when I first read it, and subsequent readings have been have been great too. I, I always I will always return to this book. It is one of my favorite books. That's that's why I, I wanted to do this one. Uh, Mark Meadows, you, Stephen, you said you think that he would elevate the material, but you haven't read the text. I, I have read the book, and I can hundred uh, percent corroborate that. Where Mark Meadows. Yeah, it, it does. Definitely, yeah, yeah. definitely elevates this book to the next level. He his performance is amazing. His comedic timing is so good. It's like I could. It's like nearly you think that he's written this book. It's nearly mind blowing that he hasn't written because he feels so attached to the material. It feels like he has he has the offer. But uh, yeah, I thought his his inflections and everything he did in this book was incredible. I would also tie him onto that five. Uh, I guess we'll go on to. There's not not really anything to say unless you want to bring up anything comparison to other media. Oh well, just just before we move on, I I just remember something. When when you recommended the book in the last episode, I I seem to remember you saying that you thought it would divide opinions. Yeah. Well. Which obviously it did. Yeah, I don't know because the reason I said that was because I was like. I was wondering if do I love this book because I'm projecting a lot of myself onto it would like and I don't know if that's the reason I loved it or if it was a genuinely uh, brilliant book oh, so I don't right. I don't know but yeah that because when when you said that I was thinking oh he thinks he thinks I'm gonna hate this no, book it's just right that's that was my automatic go to and then I started listening to it so I was like ten minutes in I was it was like with the dog. And uh, I re- I realized I was loving it, and I thought, oh, maybe maybe he thought Jonathan's gonna hate this book. <laughs> no, I just but I don't know. I don't know if it uh, what how you how you would take it if if what I loved about it was like just personal or or if it would be universally loved. Okay, that, that that's interesting. I was just wondering, yeah. So comparison to other media, there is no as far as I'm aware, there's no movie to this book. Um. Matt, the, I I would love to see. Yeah, it. Matt Haig is he's getting a lot bigger. He's this actually isn't his most popular book. His most popular book is called The Midnight Library, which I haven't read yet. So that could be something we do in the future. And uh, the only thing I could think of in comparing this to other media is that the beginning sort of reminded me of Elf. I don't know if I said that in my review. It's where Elf, where uh, Buddy the Elf goes through all the coffee shops and everything. It sort of reminded me of the beginning of this book. But uh, yeah, there's no movie to this book yet. Matt Haig does have other books and he's becoming more and more popular with everything he writes. So I'm sure there will be... If Mark Meadows doesn't play the narrator, I'm <laughs> Matt Haig actually has a Christmas book that is narrated by Stephen Fry. Just putting it out there. Oh, nice. It's coming up to Christmas. But uh, so I guess we'll move on to trivia. Do either of you guys have any trivia? Because I could not find anything. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't take the time. <laughs> to, to look up no, I think we've we've quoted it a, a lot. Um, they cover yeah the trivia side of things. Uh, as I said, he he wrote a book called Reasons to Stay Alive, which was like a sort of a memoir, sort of a self help book melded together. It, it is a good read if anybody wants like additional. If somebody wants to stay with this message, kind of, they want more of this message in a more direct way, I would definitely recommend that book anyway. But uh, 
we couldn't figure out what the Riemann hypothesis was. So, <laughs> within <laughs> our episode, so well, I did. Well, nobody can though, right? I, well, I did. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but Jonathan can't bit. reveal it. I did read a wee bit about it there. Um, so it actually is uh, like a mathematical thing that hasn't been proved, but it says if it was proved, it would be um, like it's it's one of the most important things that hasn't been discovered yet. So I, I think the importance of it is kind of you know he, he must have got that from there. But um, like I don't think it's it's going to like advance our technology in any way. I think it's more uh, like it's 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 in pure mathematics. I think it's more of just so uh, so what it would actually do was was fiction. Like the the space yeah. travel and the yeah that was yeah. that was science fiction. Yeah. Well, I, well, you you said it's one of the most important mathematical things. Why though? Can you give us a quick like on reason why? Ah, uh, like no, I don't. I don't. I haven't read enough to understand it. Um, I think it's what it says is it's the one of the most important unsolved um, proofs. Um, it, it's essentially yeah, it does exact what he described it as. It'll show you the distribution like because primes seem to like you know there's as you go up in primes the gap between them seems to change like differently there's no pattern to it um and it's it's the closest thing we have to kind of like he has this um it's like a series and when you expand the series it's closely models um the increase of prime numbers um but it, i don't think anyone's actually like you know, you could and numbers run for that. So to actually prove something, you have to show that it can work for any number, um, so that this can show that it works for every prime. Um, and you can't just do that by going like up through all the numbers because you know you can't ever get to the end. Um, so you have to like come up with a definitive proof to show that you know it's going to work for every number. It doesn't matter what the number is, um, which obviously is pretty difficult in this case. Um, but that's about as much as I know about it. No, that seems I had enough. I've, I've written down the answer here. Oh yeah, <laughs> must, must send it into whoever. Put it onto the chat so we Oreo. can broadcast it. <laughs> send it into the boys. Yeah, the math men. <laughs> so I guess we will move on to what else are we reading slash consuming? Um, I've been always starting with you this episode, Stephen. So I'll start with Jonathan this time. Yeah. So t- TV shows. I'm not not really watching. Too much. I'm working on House of the Dragon at the moment to watch the first episode, but um, yeah, hopefully trying to get through that because um, I haven't actually heard any spoilers about it or anything yet, which is quite unbelievable. Yeah, same. Uh, considering it's been out <laughs> for so long, but um, yeah, I haven't either. Yeah, so I guess I don't know if people maybe just maybe they just respect the sanctity of the Game of Thrones kind of no spoiler. <laughs> um, I'm not sure, but um, or maybe we're just well trained not to see them. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, I, th- I think I think if anything pops up in my timeline, I just browse over it straight away. So, um, but no, that's in terms of TV. Um, I'm actually reading uh, a book called Soulbinder or Soulbonder by Michael. Um, oh, really? It's, yeah, it's the one that you brought up last week, Michael. It's um, so I've read the first two chapters, and yeah, I'm actually oh, quite nice. enjoying it so far. Yeah, it's quite good. Nice. Um, but yeah, it's like the the epic kind of fantasy genre. Um, but it's uh, yeah, no, yeah. I'm, enjoy- I'm enjoying that. I'm trying to get the chapter a day done. I'm just reading on that Wattpad, um, and yeah, no, I'm enjoying that. But I'm yeah, I'm that actually wa- now most of my time is going on them actually beginning to do some game development work um, in my spare time. Um, so I'm hoping they, you know, I'm still learning at the minute, but I'm going to hope they um, 
create and release a game at some stage in the future. So, um, yeah, hopefully I'll be bringing that up on this podcast um, eventually. But, yeah, yeah, that's a lot of my time under that at the minute. You want, you want help on that? Uh, can I get on that? Yeah, of course. I've actually already discussed with Michael as well. Michael's going to help with the story side of things. Yeah, I've, I've, got, uh, I've got a few ideas. I'll shoot your way. Like, I've got synopsises. Synopsis. And then we'll, we'll, we'll have to start the, <laughs> a gaming podcast then, I guess. Yeah, like it's always something I've tried. I've tried a few times to create different games here and there, but I always get um, distracted. <laughs> by yeah, something else. Yeah. there's a there's a lot of time goes on there. Like I think if yeah, if song comes up, like it's it's hard to commit so much time to it anymore. Yeah, yeah, and also also because it's not where I it's not what I've trained in. You know, it's yeah, kind of adjacent to my my t- You know, so there's a lot of stuff that I don't have the ability to do. Yeah, it's, I'm actually yeah. doing. I'm doing it because I wanted to learn C, um, and yeah. there wasn't really that many good things to apply it to. And people do most game programming C plus plus, but um, I was just like, you know what, I'll just do a game to help me learn C, and it's actually quite good. The uh, because you just use the same thing that C plus plus people use the same like, like libraries and stuff. It's just you don't have the object oriented side of the program, but. Um, no one quite enjoying it it's good for learning they can't have that project to work on but um, no yeah hopefully I'll get more and like I'm just at the moment I'm building games that have kind of already been done you know kind of working for a, a course kind of thing um, but yeah, but, yeah we're going to aim then to create um, our own thing so yeah we can we'll sit and brainstorm that one day <laughs> nice yeah look forward to that yeah that's that's all for me uh, yeah, so as in terms of like TV and stuff, I'm still watching Andor every week. Uh, I think there's one more episode to go. I'm excited to see that. It's great. Love it. Um, I tried to watch the new season of The Crown, but I couldn't, couldn't really get into it. I <laughs> uh, don't know if you guys have watched the other seasons, but it's, it was pretty good. Uh, let me think what else. Uh, I'm a celebrity on at the minute. Uh, <laughs> watching that every night. Uh, that's, that's an enjoyable one. Uh, listening to Clash of Kings, second uh, book in the Song of Ice and Fire series. Uh, it's going well. Uh, let me think, what else? And then I guess uh, since since Jonathan touched on it, I'm currently learning Rust, uh, Rust Lang, pro- different programming language at the minute. Uh, so I'm doing a lot of background reading on that, and it's a, it's a bit heavy going to be honest, but uh, enjoying it. It's a fun one to to work in. So. Yeah, nice one. Yeah, so um, I'm I'm also watching House of Dragon. I started it. I've only done the first three episodes, but it's really like I find it really refreshing to watch political Game of Thrones again after all the fantasy, all the high mm. fantasy stuff. But uh, I might be an unpopular opinion because I've heard some people in my work being like, "Oh, I hate the politics." It's like, but I'm like, kind of, I find it a nice change of pace at the moment. Um, no, I I would agree. Yeah, just, that's yeah, where all the story the, the story yeah, lies yeah. is on, on the politics, yeah. whereas uh, the fantasy is more about the just kind of that's kind of yeah. sucking on the the people that love the Marvel kind of franchises, you know, the, the yeah. just the big yeah. cinematic kind of stuff. Definitely, fair weather uh, people, Jonathan. That's it. <laughs> true fans. Uh, I started watching Andor as well, but I've only watched the first two episodes, so I don't have many thoughts on it. Other than it's it's very well made, and I am hooked at the minute. But um, yeah. maybe I'll have more more to say on it as I get deeper into it. Uh, I just wanted to mention too, if like, if just in relation to this book, uh, the humans. If there was, if you want like other things that I've watched that are like existential kind of theme thematic. If you're looking for more stuff like that, 
Uh, if you have seen the Pixar movie Soul, I would recommend that. It's it's quite, especially for a children's movie, it's quite existential and, and shares a lot of themes with this. Uh, there was a oh, book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, not a book. There was a movie came out, I think it was, I don't know if it was this year or last year, but uh, Everything Everywhere all, all the time. It's a really, really good movie. It's really, really funny. And it's it's like it's like this as well. I don't even I don't want to say anything about it because it's so bonkers and you just need to watch it and don't want to give anything away about it. Um, what's, it what's it called? I think it's Everything Everywhere All the Time. I, I highly recommend it. It's a great movie. I think it came out this year or it was last year. But um yeah. And for working on I've I've released a couple more scenes of my little online serial shadow sisters uh i've released the first episode of my uh audio podcast thing the dark tales uh so the first episode's up of that um it's just only gone on the spotify there within the last couple of hours took them like four days to approve it so we'll see anyway i'm i've already started recording like the second episode i've got the story written for that and everything and I've got the first draft of the third story written. The third story, it's it's actually slightly based on a time that we all spent together in um in a charity shop. So it's like it's oh, a yeah. horror oh, it's a horror story based on a charity shop. So 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 yeah. basically just what just what happened there then? Is it that time we put the doll in the in the window upstairs that, and got that is that is an inspiration for it, yes, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that is the direct inspiration. I I usually Sorry for, if I spoiled it there. No, no. For horror stories, I usually do use like I take like something in real life and then I twist it into like a horror story. It's just the way my brain works for horror stories. I don't know why, but I could. I what? always. I've I've got like a lot of unwritten stories that I call like vault stories, and most of them are horror stories. I've got like five fantasies I want to write, and then there's like a hundred horror stories. Well, the upstairs of that building was terrifying. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, I, I've yeah. listened to the first twenty minutes of your first one, Michael. Um, story-wise, I'm enjoying it. I just, I think you've you've got like this voice in it, <laughs> and it's just yeah. creepy. Like hell, just hearing your voice <laughs> in, in that way. But um, yeah, yeah, I but think that, it's very, very well, well done. Do you do you, do you fall like narrate like do you like the voice and everything? Yeah. So I was gonna. I was like thinking, should I? Should I just? I wanted to get like narrate my books but then I was like but I want to get good at it first and so I was like should I just practice in private and all and I was like no nah, I'll just do a podcast and I'll practice as I go so my apologies as I, I stumble through this podcast it's partly practice but <laughs> I just want to have fun with it as well but uh I give myself a very tough task with this first story because it's like it's free female perspectives or I know the, uh, the it's uh, free <laughs> Then there's an English character who comes under, and my god, oh, yes. it was so tough. But oh, no. and I just and I just like, yeah, I just have fun with it. Like it's just it's just a, a way to have fun and to practice for doing books. Then later down the road, so if you're nice. interested in hearing me try to work my way through it, I'll be listening to that straight after. <laughs> <laughs> Happy days. That's good. That's really good. I guess uh, that's everything really in my episode. Uh, oh. There was one. There was one thing I wanted to plug uh, that I forgot about. Uh, this was something that my sister told me about um, a while back now, but it's basically a sort a resource for audiobooks. Right. So through like I think it's like the National Library or something, 
you can get you can get free. There's they have a whole library of free books, right? Um, and you just need like a, a membership or whatever, and you have access to a bunch of different books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just thought thought it'd be good to to mention uh, that those uh, types of resources are out there in case you know people don't want to be spending. Do you remember what that one was called? Or we can read. yeah, we can I can't, get, I can't get a link. What it was called. Get a link. Yeah, we'll, get, put it we'll put a link in the show notes there. Oh, just on that topic too, I wanted to mention we we do have a Twitter and uh, an email. If you have any suggestions on on books you think we should do, uh, just just email or tweet at us. Uh, we haven't received anything to do a, a listener mailbag section yet, but um, hopefully we can do that section on our next episode. Hopefully we have something to read. But uh, yeah, just uh, just tweet at us or email us if you want us to cover anything. We're not sure how we're going to handle listener request episodes yet it's still something we have to talk about as they come on but right now we haven't received anything so we're not too worried about sorting it out right now but uh, i'll put those i'll put the email and the twitter handle and the show notes as well so that is uh, that is it for my episode i am going to pass the mantle now over to Stephen. uh it's going to be his pick for what we're doing for next episode yeah uh sure so I told the guys before we started recording that I struggled to to make a pick for this uh, episode. Um, I want I wanted to move out of the, the science fiction uh, sort of realm, but I failed. <laughs> so so um, yeah, this is a book that um, I think it's like two years old. It's a couple of years old anyway, and uh, it's written by an Irish fella uh, from Belfast. Uh, the book is Reliance by Paul McMurray. Um, and yeah I, I don't want to talk too much more about it because uh, it ruins the next game yeah, that yeah. Reliance Do you want, do you want to have a guess at what it's uh, what it's about? Uh, I don't want to show you the cover because, as we normally do because I think it would give too much away Oh really? Okay Reliance by uh, Northern Irish did you say as well? Yeah Or just Irish? Northern Irish, yeah Northern Irish um, do you want to go, Jonathan? Reliance. Um, it's a, sing- a single word title. Like it's, it's not. <laughs> it's all right. It's just extremely completely bad. bonkers for your guests. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just go with you, Matt, eh? and I'll give the point to Michael because. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You, you can't be biased in the amount of points that I have. <laughs> okay, I won't. Um, I I have a guess. I have a guess. Right. Okay. Cool. It's about this um, this guy who has a disability, and um, he he uh he has to become a, a mecha human. He has to <laughs> he has to have parts of his body replaced by an android, and he becomes a sort of RoboCop like figure. Okay, so Michael's <laughs> guess is Robocop, okay? <laughs> Did you say what genre this was? Was it science fiction? You say, oh, you It's a science fiction. It's a science fiction. Oh, uh, that's actually quite a good, quite a good interesting guess. <laughs> um, uh, I feel like it's a... Um, s- some kind of computer-generated uh, world um, in which this guy um, loses himself in. Um, and becomes heavily reliant. Like so, in this world, he might have like uh, certain powers. Um, and then you know when he returns to the real world, it's 
you know, not, not as good. And then he has trouble distinguishing between the two. Eventually. So, my, so Michael says Robocop, Joplin says The Matrix. Ready Player One. <laughs> oh, the Matrix, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, uh, good. Uh, do you want to see the title and maybe, or the, the cover, and you can guess again? Just Yeah, give, um, us, a, give us a little know. look at it. Is it guess straight away, I'm sure. Where are you putting it? I'm putting it in our chat, in the Discord. The Discord. Oh. So I'm gonna go first now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm not counting this for points, by the way. Just uh, yeah, yeah. Your original guesses. I'm gonna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So based on the cover, and I'll just maybe describe it here as well. So the cover is um, a, a a light bulb that's kind of smashing, and like the process of being smashed. And then there's actually also a like sub kind of title that says "Powerless Earth," book yeah. one. Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming, yeah, that electricity is going to run out, which of course humans. Um, heavily rely on um for everything medical um basically everything nowadays um so yeah it sounds quite interesting now uh same but then what happens same as jonathan's guess only one of them becomes a mecha human (laughs) 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 the same the same as jonathan but robocop yeah and then well reverse robocop (laughs) just cop (laughs) okay no, that's 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 good. Um, so yeah, our book is Reliance. Our next book is Reliance by Paul McMurray. Oh, he reads that. Uh, it's narrated by Jonathan Harden. Nice. And it comes in at six hours and twenty-four minutes. Sweet. Still under the ten-hour mark, then. Yeah. Happy nice. Days. All right. Um, I guess we will. Oh, Stephen, you can do the arch. Sorry, and jump on the gun. Uh, is that how we do it? <laughs> I, f- I, f- I don't know. Did we? I don't know. I don't think so. I thought it was the new host as the outro. I'll do it if you want. Like, I'll, do, I'll do it if you want. We'll just do uh, it us arguing about see? who does the outro. And then it off <laughs> <and> the music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, do that. Do exactly that. Yeah, that's grand then. See you later, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye.